Hello everybody, this is Sam, and I hope you're all well. Before we get into the podcast proper this week, I'd quickly like to ask you all a favour. Over the last few days, you will have all heard a lot of noise about how the government is finally moving to support the arts throughout this crisis. What you might not have heard is that the UK comedy circuit is not expected to benefit from any of that financial help. The comedy circuit here in the UK is genuinely world-beating. The Edinburgh Fringe is the envy of the world, we have one of the healthiest and most creative scenes for stand-up on the planet, and it contributes millions every year to the UK economy. Yet it's never been considered an art form by either the arts councils of any of the devolved powers or the Department of Culture. It simply isn't viewed as equal to other art forms by funding bodies across the UK, the same funding bodies responsible for distributing this week's announced support package. 80% of dedicated comedy venues are facing closure without further support from the government. Without the live circuit, I see you, and by extension, this podcast would never have existed. It's the arena in which I cut my teeth and learned my idiot craft, and it is simply too important to our culture and our communities to be allowed to die. Please, if you can, go to savelivecomedy.co.uk and take a second to read about the campaign and sign the open letter to the government. Together, we can hopefully plead the case for thousands of jobs and one of the UK's strongest creative industries. Thanks for your time, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. You're listening to IC News, the only network bringing you the stories from across the multiverse. Following Rishi Sunak's attempts to get Britain moving again, 60% of Britons say they still feel uncomfortable eating out, probably because they haven't got a supportive enough mattress. Oliver Dowden announces that gyms and swimming pools can now reopen, but live entertainment must only take place outdoors with social distancing, meaning that inhaling the plasters that have sloughed off the weeping sores of a pensioner swimming in front of you is still considered to be better for your health than seeing Coldplay live. Chief Spad and omniscient hate potato Dominic Cummings is to tour the country's military installations as part of his push to reform the armed forces. He won't be able to read any official secrets, however, unless they let him drive a tank to Barnard Castle to test his eyesight first. And finally, Mel Gibson is reportedly not returning to his role of Rocky the Rooster for Chicken Run 2, presumably because he keeps getting drunk and denying that the chickens in the first movie were ever held in camps and headed for a holocaust. Hello and welcome to another episode of IC News. We hope you're safe and well and sitting comfortably. Unless, of course, you're one of the original cast members of Glee, in which case you really shouldn't be sitting comfortably. For the love of God, you should be rushing back to the tomb as soon as you can in order to put the amulet you stole back in the sarcophagus. It's the only way you'll ever be safe. Speaking of living under a terrifying curse that tragically claims the lives of the innocent, that second guy not included, this week the UK government announced further measures to ease the British lockdown. Gyms and swimming pools will soon once again be open for my fat ass to avoid at all costs, while quarantine measures on air travel from many destinations are to be lifted and live entertainment can once again return to depressing car parks everywhere. Culture Secretary and unconvincingly cheery waxwork of Chris Tarrant, Oliver Dowden, also announced a financial package to support the country's artistic spaces, while the Chancellor unveiled a raft of enticing new initiatives to get Britain back out and spending once again. We now go live to Danny Sutcliffe with the latest on those. What on earth, Graham? What's going on with the music? Summer! 
That's right, kids. Summer's here. Sun's out. Guns out. Are you beach body ready? You better be, because Britain is back open for business. And boy, do we have a fresh and funky new package of support in store for you. COVID-19 still getting you down? Well, don't worry. Seriously, stop worrying. We need you to stop worrying. We've ballsed up every possible aspect of handling this crisis, and if you don't get out and start spending money soon, the entire fucking country's doomed. Everything's fine now, honest. Go out. Go the fuck out. Go to restaurants, go to beaches, go to pubs. Spend your bloody money, you bastards, before we sink the economy faster than Richard Hillman's Ford Galaxy. Danny, what are you doing? You up, pal? I said, what are you doing? Can we cut the music, please? What do you mean, what am I doing? I'm reporting on the summer statement. Well, it doesn't sound like you're reporting. In fact, it sounds like a radio commercial. Well, yeah, it does. Well, that's only because I'm being paid loads of money to promote it. It's one of Rishi Sunak's schemes to get the country up and infect... Sorry, moving again. We've all got our part to play, pal. What do you mean you're being paid? That's hardly ethical journalistic practice. I'm not practising, you bellend. Rehearsals are over. This is live. Live and healthy, just like all of us can be if we just get out there and start spending again. There's no more time for scaremongering, mate. We've all got to chip in. I can tell I'm going to be fighting a losing battle by questioning any of this, so let's just get it over with. Run us through the latest measures, please. Gladly! Graham, hit the music, please. This summer, we've got a Bobby Dazzler of a deal for you. Are you a first-time buyer looking to get your feet on the first rung of the property ladder? Good news, pal! We're cutting stamp duty on homes with a value up to 500 grand, meaning that you'll now be unable to afford even larger deposits as the rental market crushes and exploits you. We're doing this for you, and if it makes it even easier and cheaper for landlords to buy up more housing you can't afford to rent, that's just a coincidence. Are you worried about losing your job? Don't be! You probably will, but if you don't, we're going to pay your employer a thousand pounds, regardless of whether or not they were going to keep you on anyway, and without taking any measures to target the most at-risk industries. It's an insanely expensive scattergun approach that's rife for exploitation. But we don't mind, because we're panicking and we've got to do something. Are you worried about visiting your favourite restaurants? Don't be! You might have no job and can't afford the rent, but what you can afford is a sit-down meal, Monday to Wednesday. We'll give you up to £10 a head. We need you to eat out to help out. Muff dive to save lives. Sock a dick to help the sick. This slogan was an open goal, and we can't believe not a single person in the marketing team picked up on it. Here at Rishi Sunak's Discount Emporium, we've lost our bloody minds. It's all on you now. We've set you up to succeed, so get out there and spend, spend, spend. And for the love of fuck, if you're an employer, please don't sack everybody when the furlough scheme comes to an end or you'll make us look like right swats. Well, that was absolutely ridiculous. Are you quite finished? Oh, munch a fanny to save your granny. There you go. There's another one.
Yeah, I think I'm done, pal. I think that was the least informative you've ever been, and that was already a pretty low bar to clear. Thanks, pal. Now, if you don't mind, I earned several grand with that, and I'm off to spend it all on loft insulation for my rental portfolio. The daft swats are all on bills including contracts, and I'm already turning the thermostats down remotely every winter. I'm going to make a fucking killing. This government are amazing. Bye, Danny. See you, pal. While a visibly panicking and terrified Chancellor and Culture Secretary did their best to maintain an upbeat tone against a worrying backdrop of thousands more job losses across the country, the Prime Minister once again threatened to steal all their thunder this week by gobbling up all the headlines like a greedy, blame-shifting little jizzrag. He's been under fire all week after appearing on Monday to blame care homes themselves for the way COVID-19 has devastated the sector. On Wednesday, at Prime Minister's questions, he refused repeatedly to apologise for his comments. Now, as abhorrent as that may seem, given the complete lack of government direction that led to so many deaths in care homes as a result of the pandemic, it's important for us here at the network to maintain at least a veneer of impartiality. That's why we've given this story to our right-leaning correspondent, the nauseatingly deferential Sebastian Forlock. <laughs> Thank you, Sam, and may I say it's an absolute pleasure to once again be invited back into the warm and loving embrace of a truly impartial broadcaster. We conservative voices have few places to make ourselves heard these days, and even I'm not simpering and cravenly obsequious enough to go on Darren Bloody Grimes' podcast. (coughs) Daddy, please, just... Wait until I'm breathing out, I beg you. It's been another ridiculous week for the hysterical scaremongering on the part of the left with the... Oh, sorry, just got to shift my weight a little. That's better. With the words of the Prime Minister once again finding themselves twisted into horrible and deceptive little knots. On Monday, all he said was that the reason over 20,000 people have died in residential care from COVID-19 was that too many care homes were not following the correct procedures. You'll have to forgive me, lefty lovies and champagne socialists sitting at home in their ivory towers, but I didn't realise that the Prime Minister wasn't allowed to tell massive and obvious lies anymore. That's your angle? Really? Hmm? Sorry, Sam. Not sure what you mean. Oh, sorry to interrupt, Sebastian. It's just, well, um, normally you'll come on and twist reality in order to justify the government's incompetence, or pretend that what Boris Johnson said and what he actually meant are two different things. But you've just said explicitly that shifting the blame onto care homes was a massive and obvious lie. Oh, I see. I do apologise, Sam. It appears we've found ourselves with a little bit of a misunderstanding. A little error lost in translation, if you will. We're not bothering with the redirect anymore. We're just saying outright that it's fine to lie now. Oh, OK. Um, You're not following Matt Hancock's lead, then, by suggesting that what the PM meant was that nobody understood the procedures because we didn't know enough about asymptomatic transmission. No, we're not, because that's obvious bollocks. 
Boris literally said it was the fault of the care homes for not following the guidance, even though, at the time, there was very little guidance in place and the government were knowingly discharging thousands of patients back into homes without testing them in order to free up hospital beds. The WHO had already warned us that asymptomatic transmission was potentially possible at that point. It turns out that such a horrific and blatant attempt to shift the responsibility for that disastrous call is completely indefensible. So now we just have to say that lying is allowed. Right. Happy to have clarified that for you. <laughs> Daddy, please give it a few seconds to cool first. Now, where was I? Oh, yes, that's right. It is ludicrous that the duly elected leader of our great nation, with its throbbing and girthy mandate, should be subjected to the naive expectation that he should conduct himself with integrity and decency like some poxy commoner. This is a man, a shining adulterer on a golden hill, who stood among the people and clapped for our carers like he was one of us. It is his right, nay, his duty, to protect Britain from the indignity of having his office besmirched by the reality of his own failures. It was both right and proper to expect those that have suffered the most under his stewardship to accept the responsibility for their own suffering. If they do not, then truly, Britain is lost. Wait, Daddy, Daddy, no, not the cactus, please. No, not the cactus. Honey oh, boy, the pipes, the pipes are calling. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you, Daddy. Good Lord, we're being ambitious today. <laughs> ah, Look, none of this has been easy for any of us, and the government recognises the extraordinary efforts of our wonderful care home staff. It recognises them from across the room before whispering to everybody nearby that this is all somehow their fault. Nobody is saying that this country's wonderful carers haven't done their best under impossible circumstances that didn't need to be as impossible as the government made them. All the Prime Minister is saying is that really, they should have seen this coming. The Conservatives were voted back in in 2019, with Boris Johnson as the Prime Minister. If our care homes were expecting consistent support from another Conservative government, rather than hollow, tokenistic gestures followed by total abandonment and blame for thousands of unnecessary deaths, then they haven't been paying enough attention for the last five decades. I'm Sebastian Forlock, naked from the waist down and shackled with his legs apart to a leather vaulting horse in Dominic Rab's solarium, reporting for IC News. Daddy, why are you wearing a beekeeper's outfit? And what's the funnel for, Daddy? Oh, Daddy. This thing's staying. This
Now, the coronavirus pandemic continues to throw into sharp relief the many economic and societal divisions creating inequalities across the globe. Perhaps symptomatically of that unease, combined with our relatively new obsession with screaming at each other across the internet, and fuelled by opportunistic populist leaders who stoke the flames of conflict for political gain, there's been a culture war erupting of late. This week, a long list of noted thinkers, concerned public figures, and an impressively unself-aware J.K. Rowling signed their name to an open letter bemoaning the risk to free speech posed by so-called cancel culture. Do their fears have any basis in reality, or are some of them just jumping on a convenient bandwagon in an attempt to ameliorate the financial impact of being caught out saying something unpalatable? We sent our demonic correspondent Red Redmond through the dimensional gate to the birthplace of cancel culture to find out. Ah, Freshers' Week. It's an exciting time for a curious young mind. It's a time for self-discovery and exploration. It's a time to be inquisitive and open to new ideas. It's a time to meet new people and to rub up against those with different ideas and life experiences. It's a time to take a shitload of drugs and have sex with exciting new genders and ethnicities. Alan, for goodness sake, Sorry, everyone. Yet again, if you're a new listener, I apologise for Alan. He's the parasitical demon that lives inside my soul, and he's yet to really appreciate the network's sensitivity training. <laughs> Where was I? You were banging on about university. Ah, yes. It's time to broaden your horizons and open your mind. And your legs. Alan, for God's sake... It's time to open your mind. But if right-wing social media, and let's face it, right-wing mainstream media as well, are to be believed, it's also the time at which our young people are the most susceptible to dangerous left-wing indoctrination. Hi there, welcome to Woke University. Can I interest you in a vegan gluten-free mini-muffin? They're made with sea kelp and Marxism. Fuck off, simp. Microaggression! Jesus Christ, Alan. For once, could you just not play into the stereotype? There are hundreds of people here, from every possible political persuasion and background, and yet somehow you managed to pick a fight with the vegan mini-muffin man. The mini-muffin man? The mini-muffin man. Just grow up, will you? We're not here to play up to your average bigot's hysterical assumptions about cancel culture. We're here to explore it to its natural extreme, and hopefully demonstrate why those assumptions are false. That's why we've come to Earth Juliet Beta Cuck 67. It's a world where you can't just scream, I'm being cancelled, as an excuse whenever a privately owned social media firm decides you're breaching their terms and conditions. Nor can you cry censorship when a community you're oppressing reacts negatively to your attempts to marginalise them. Back on Earth Prime, cancel culture has become a catch-all phrase to excuse all kinds of abhorrent behaviour. It's the latest tool used by the right to try and twist freedom of speech into freedom from consequence. Oh please, that's a piss-weak justification for the entitlement of social media pylons that are far too quick to leap on any perceived injustice. When censorship becomes a crowdsourced effort, free speech finds itself exposed to the emotional stupidity of the mob. It strips context from any controversy, and it removes any space for nuance from the debate. Cancel culture simply amplifies your average bigot's sense of oppression, driving them underground and reinforcing rather than challenging their viewpoint. 
Oh, don't be so fucking ridiculous, Alan. What do you think is underground about bigotry at the moment? The idea that the left is in any way winning the culture war is laughable. Right-wing ideology is the current orthodoxy, not some suppressed outlier suffering at the hands of the tyrannical minorities, who are actually fighting a losing battle for basic equity of freedoms. Exactly. Which is why it's fucking ridiculous that your lot are more concerned about blackface sketches in old sitcoms and virtue signalling by tearing down statues. You're more interested in performative wokeness than you are about genuine reform. By taking it upon yourself to speak for the oppressed, your white saviour egotism becomes just another tool by which their actual voices are stolen from them. Uh, excuse me. Oh, fuck off, Alan. The left aren't responsible for the hollow knee-jerk reactions of companies taking sitcoms off their platforms and tearing down statues is a symptom of the injustice, not the disease itself. Uh, excuse me. It's a fever breaking and the genuine work to reform starts afterwards in the recovery. You know that as well as I do. Right, you two, that is enough. Excuse me? I said that is enough. This is a safe space. We don't debate like that here. We are no platforming you. There is no platform, and there are no many muffins for you here. Oh, fuck this. Do you mind? Go ahead. to say, Red, but I've honestly got nothing against vegan ideology. If anything, I recognize how essential it is to the sustainability of our future, and I respect anyone making that choice. It's more selfless than I'm capable of being. It's just that this guy's delicious. Yeah, I get that, Alan. It's just not very libertarian of you when he ends up in my stomach, is it? Stop trying to cancel me! Oh, fuck off! We are Red Redmond, reporting for IC News. Oh dear, not to worry everybody. You can't really call it a horrific massacre that will forever scar the memories of everyone who witnessed it when so many damn students survived, can you? That way there's no need for uncomfortably critical self-assessment or reparations. Red's report brings us to the end of our scheduled broadcast. We leave you now with the headlines you may have missed. A statue of Melania Trump has been set on fire in her native Slovenia during 4th of July protests. The First Lady is normally also completely wooden, but she usually only finds herself suffering from a burning sensation after her husband picks up an STI from a porn star. Thousands of babies born during lockdown are still yet to be registered and in the eyes of the government don't technically exist yet, which is a feeling several of the Prime Minister's own children have carried right into their teenage years. The BBC announces plans to end free licence fees for the over 75s, in a move that's set to raise about three quid by the time COVID-19's finished with the pensioners. And finally, Chris Grayling is reportedly to be appointed Chair of the Intelligence and Security Committee. <laughs> yeah, very funny. Who's put this one in here? The point about satire, everyone, is that if you stretch the credibility of it too far, it stops working. Honestly, what kind of fucking idiot would even suggest that? Chris Grayling and intelligence. <sighs> You've been listening to IC News. Thank you and goodbye.
You've just been listening to the IC News Podcast. If you enjoyed it, please don't forget to help us spread the word. Only with your support, can we reach more people, and build a larger audience. Every episode of IC News is written and produced by Sam Gore. Every week we feature guest voices from the UK stand-up circuit. Check out the podcast description to find out who you've been listening to. They're all very funny people, and you should check out their stuff. The IC News main theme is written and performed by Eddie French and the graphic design for the show is by Chunchy.com. Any additional music in the show will always be properly credited in the podcast description, so if you hear something you like, please check that out and support the independent artists who offer their work to shows like ours.